This is Daizenshu EX, the podcast, episode 249, for the week of February 27th, 2011. Hey, hey there, welcome to Dies and Chewy X, the podcast, and extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Oh, Dies and Chewy X, duh. Where we cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening, and a little bit of entertaining. Entertaining. That voice coming to me across the internet, Mr. Kaiser Neko, Scott from Team Four Star. Welcome, dude. I just totally fucked up my cue. That's all right. I commanded do over. I'm an idol. I don't have to take this shit. <laughs> uh, I give it to you anyway, because I'm the boss here. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. Oh, anytime. I love being on here. Awesome. Awesome. I know. You're uh, you're our little fanboy, and I love it more than you can possibly imagine. Uh, well, you know, I grew up with you guys. No, seriously, like Vegito EX and Planet Namek and oh, Skids, all those. I have a lot of respect. Good times. Good times. All right. So we got Kaiser over here. My name's Mike Vegito EX. This is episode two. 49 the podcast it's gonna be the dude bro over there and the dude bro over here talking about basically no news and really just i i need someone to talk to you for a little bit before we get to the topic so thank you hey, what are you talking about no news didn't you hear that maybe maybe not that kai maybe or may not be going <laughs> through april busaka maybe yes no who knows calendars uh there's really nothing to talk about right now no there's not <laughs> i feel like we talk about it and then we're like there's nothing to talk about but let's talk about it at you know what? Never mind. Well, I guess there's this. It's a it's a fun non-conversation. So, all right. So what's on deck this episode for reals? Uh, last episode, we mentioned in email that we would be getting to this episode. We're finally doing that. It became its own massive topic of awesomeness here. Jake, Mr. Herms from Constantai, him and I going to give you a crash course in Journey to the West. We're going to give you a kind of what is Journey to the West if you've never heard of it before. And if you're listening to a Dragon Ball podcast, you're at this extent of fandom that you probably have heard of it before. If you're digging this deep to listen to a bunch of guys and occasionally some gals on the internet talk about it, perhaps you know of it. If you don't, you're going to learn. And we're going to break down two stories from the first Dragon Ball TV series. That's going to be our awesome, huge topic for the week. So stay tuned. We'll get to that momentarily. Other than that, any stuff going on? I guess I'll just note that I've been playing some more Ultimate Butoden on the DS. I don't have a whole lot to say about it new just yet, other than I'm getting used to the fighting engine a bit. Cross-ups seem to actually work, which is fun to fighting game fans like me. Um, I'm hoping I'm going to do a, a full review based on the Japanese version in the near future, but we'll see about that because there's just so many things uh, to review right now. Scott, you were just asking me, oh, how is that new Hedchala cover from Bakuman Volume 1? I'm like, yeah, it's cover, Hedchala, sung by someone I don't know. It's sure, right? This is what I spend my money on. Uh, it sounds almost like it's about as important as maybe an image song. I mean, if you don't know the character, I mean, yeah, sure, if you're a fan of Dragon Ball Z, it's going to be kind of silly and fun, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cover from Lucky Star was a little bit more yeah, relevant. Yeah, I, I felt like that was more universal. Like, even if you didn't see Lucky Star, you could still get something out of that because it was more off the wall and had some flair to it. This is, hey, it's it's a dude singing Head Chala. I got a few of those. Well, it, it's obvious in the show, um, not really a spoiler, the characters are big fans of Dragon Ball. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, yeah, and they mentioned it a couple times. So the fact that it's Chala Hechala, it's it's not overtly surprising, but it's it's still just kind of like, okay, Chala Hechala cover from a, ra- a random anime character. Right. All right, so there's that. I've got two Legend of Cyan figures that finally came in. So like it did with the Frieza's Force figures, I'm hoping to do a review on those in the near future, too. 
that's it. That's all I got. So uh, I guess with the intro stuff out of the way, let's do the sort of news, not news. So, Scott, here's a a cover of a CD coming out. It looks beautiful. It's the cover of Kai Soundtrack. Well, here's the thing. We've seen listings that call it Kai Soundtrack 4. That's how it was being promoted up until this point. But now that the cover is out, the actual words on the picture for the disc say Dragon Ball Kai, original soundtrack, and then the kanji Shu. It's the same Shu from Daizenshu. That means collection. The number four is nowhere on this cover. This is the one that's been bumped up to a two-disc set. We don't really know what's going to be on it. Scott, let me ask you, what do you think? The number four is not on here. It's called Collection. We got two discs. You think this is just kind of like wrapping things up and collecting anything that needs to be collected? Is it going to be old stuff plus new stuff? I mean, we don't know. So let's just theorize and pretend we're educated here. I'm not too sure. Uh, It's possible that the rest of this could just be, uh, you know, certain instrumental pieces that... Because I'm I'm pretty sure at some parts of the show we've gotten other instrumental pieces that were like stripped down versions of one of others that we'd heard. Yeah, yeah. And maybe this is some of that. And maybe God helping. Um, I I believe there's supposed to be two CDs coming out. Maybe this one will have karaoke versions of like Cyan Blood and. Oh yeah, yeah. There were those um Kodochan packs that came out, which are kind of repackagings. I think there were one, maybe two. I know there was one an instrumental or karaoke version of one of the vocal songs that was not on one of the prior discs so maybe there's a way to collect that stuff we don't know it, it's it's a it's a sad thought though i mean uh i just i don't want to i personally i'm one of those people who really wants the boo saga yeah yeah because like I, may, I might be weird i actually like really enjoy the boo saga well, there's nothing weird about that at all people uh, tons of people really enjoy the boo arc i get i get like bagged on that because like i look i totally understand at that point the power levels are absurd the 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 like rationing of power and scales are unbelievable but I, there's a lot about boo saga that i absolutely love and i was just like so looking forward to seeing a little a slightly more compact version of that so the idea that this could be the end. I don't want it to be. The, I don't want it to be. The <laughs> well, full we don't collection. know. We have absolutely no idea. It could come, and they're just we like, no we're not telling you. But uh, I don't know. Here's cover art for a CD. Uh, it's out what uh, next month? I think this is the one that got pushed back to March. I can't keep track of it anymore. So I know I'm like every time I read the news, I get I actually got pretty confused. <laughs> I'm all like, so wait, now this is complete collection, but I thought there was another collection thing. I was oh. always. I know. And I'm trying to write it in the most clear, logical way, but to explain it, you have to explain how confusing it is, which just makes it worse. So Going to Funimation on us. Yep, yep. I, I said that from the beginning with Kai. It's like, oh my god, this is totally backwards, and I shouldn't have to deal with this. But I think they do it specifically to piss off the fans and be like, ha try and keep track of it. We dare you. Show how, real, show how big of fans you really are. <laughs> See if he made sense of this. All right, that's that's it. That is the news for this last week. There hasn't been a whole hell of a lot of stuff. So what we're going to do right now, uh, Kaiser, you're gone for a while. I'm going to talk to Jake about Journey to the West for like an hour. And then we're going to come back. You and I are going to do releases and we're going to wrap this shit up. I looked it up. It has been exactly 10 episodes, sir, since you have joined us from uh, Constantine Herms. Jake, welcome back to the show. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Hi, Dr. Jake. 
That's the best uh, Dr. Nick impression I can manage. <laughs> it was pretty good. Pretty good. This is uh, going to be a fun time, uh, particularly if you're a forum regular on Taizenshu X, because you've already heard all of this. So I think we're going to try and have some fun with it and maybe go into a little more detail. Jake, you and I, we're going to talk some Journey to the West here. Yes. Now, uh, I believe I mentioned toward the end of last podcast episode that we received an email that I wanted to answer that episode and I described it as one of those rabbit hole emails where I I, I think I can answer it and then I'm like oh but I got to talk about this too and oh this is interesting so let me go ahead and let me just read the email here from Judy from Hungary Judy says hi Mike Mary Julian I've been following your podcast since December 2010 so new listener here and rediscovered Dragon Ball in that same month I've already caught up with the series. I enjoy it immensely. I'm not sure if Judy's talking about Dragon Ball and or our podcast, but either way, from December to now, catching up on either the podcast and or the Dragon Ball series, that's a lot of material to cover in a short amount of time. Judy continues, though. This is my first time writing to you, so some things about me. I'm a 27-year-old female fan from Hungary, Middle Europe. Mmm, the wonders of the internet. My official profession is English teacher, but I work as an administrator. Anyway, I follow lots of manga, including Naruto, which I don't enjoy as much as I used to, but I saw an interesting page in the latest chapter. I know, shame on me for leeching things off the internet. Nevertheless, I sent you that single scanlation page that I found interesting. So, Seven Star Sword and Banana Fan. Hmm, what do you think? Basho fan and seven star Dragon Ball? Coincidence? I don't think so, knowing Kishimoto's love for Dragon Ball. In your manga reference guide, I found this. For example, Basho Sen, banana leaf fan, or Shusinshu, four star ball. Hopefully, this will clear up any potential confusion. Just some tidbit to ponder. It would be great to hear what you think of this. Judy, aka Formel around the internet. And then just to follow up on Judy's email, Jacob was telling you this before we started recording, one of the first emails we ever received to the podcast at the end of 2005, I think it was Kerberfer, it might have been someone else, one of our longtime fans and listeners, sent an email asking if we could cover some of the Journey to the West correlations with Dragon Ball on the podcast. It's um, February 2011 right now, so you can see that we're slowly making our way through the email pile. But Jake, I bring you on because you were working on some stuff too, and I was working on this email, and I figured, hey, let's do some gigantic, I don't know, information splurging? What would you even call this? A Konzenshu combo special. <laughs> That's right. We like to call everything Konzenshu. Uh, I think what we'll start out with, <laughs> we're going to do this totally wrong and answer Judy's email last. There's a lot of stuff to cover here, but it's a lot of fun material. We'll start with how Dragon Ball came to be as a sort of journey to the West. Parody isn't the right word. It's kind of this loosely inspired by, and loosely is quite loosely. So Jake, I want you to get us started here. How did this come about? Well, Toriyama says in his Daizenshu 2 interview that when he was starting out the series, he figured that he'd make it a kind of retelling or pastiche of Journey to the West because, you know, being Toriyama, he figured it'd be easier. That's you know, right. you could just take the original story and just mess around with it and bravo, new story. But eventually he kind of got tired with that and moved on to other inspirations like video games and things like that. But for the first story arc, the first Search for the Dragon Balls, it's all pretty, there's a lot of very strong Journey to the West references, with most notably, of course, is Goku. The hero of Journey to the West, more or less, is uh, Sun Wukong, the handsome monkey king. 
And so in Japanese, his name is read as Son Goku. And so obviously that's the same name as Dragon Ball's hero. And uh, Wukong is an actual monkey, although he's born from a rock. But Goku, of course, just has a monkey tail. But it's interesting to note that in Toriyama's preliminary sketches before he started the series, he actually had Goku starting off as an actual monkey looking pretty much identical to how Song Wukong is traditionally portrayed. Yeah, now there's a, I don't know if it's an in-between chapter image from the Tonkobon of our Goku looking at a very Wukong-esque little monkey dude. Yeah, I think that's in volume five. So was that the design or was it similar to that? Well, no, it was, um, I mean, it looked the same, but it was a different set of images that are included in Daizenshu 2. Gotcha. And it's kind of, you know, it's got the uh, monkey Goku kind of jumping in the air, holding his staff. Mm. You know, it's more of an action pose. Right. And then that, that picture in volume five, it's more or less him. They're just standing looking at each other right. in confusion. So Goku, he's the most obvious reference. And then Oolong is based off of, um, oh, I can never say his name. I, I just go with Chu Pachier. I don't yeah. know how close I am. It's like... Or Zhu Bajie, I'm terrible yeah. with it, but yeah, I don't, I don't know any Chinese, right? Facts and purposes. I'm going to call him Pigsy. Yes, yes, I do too. It's, it's wonderful. That's what, that's what he's called in my translation of Journey to the West. The one that I own, not the one that I wrote. <laughs> That'd be pretty bad. But anyway, okay, so Oolong is based off, I guess I should say this first of all, Story of Journey to the West is called that because it's this these four pilgrims who are traveling from China to India to get some uh, sacred Buddhist scriptures so that they can uh, convert. Basically, it's like they're the first Jehovah's Witnesses, <laughs> yeah. or they want, they want to spread the word right. to China. And so, you know, a lot of people forget, but Buddhism actually originated in India. And so that's why they have to go to the West, to India to get this stuff. And so there's this one monk, and then the gods give him these three uh, helpers, I think, or three or four. Well, the horse counts, so it's kind of four. Yeah, I don't know how you... Three and a half. <laughs> who are all previous demons or other, uh, you know, troublemakers who have been tasked with protecting the monk to atone for their sins. And so, you know, the Monkey King's one, and then another one is Pigsy, who was, uh, I, I forgot what he did, but he got punished by being reborn as a pig. And then obviously that's Oolong. And then less obviously is Yamcha, who corresponds to this um, Kappa guy. I don't know how to describe What is he, like a water monster? Yeah, yeah. I think he was in a river when they came across him. You'll typically just see him referred to as Sha Monk. So that's what I go with. Getting kind of um, vague here. You yeah, know, yeah. I don't really see that the connection but Toriyama's actually said he's based off that guy so there you go <laughs> I, I feel like as he was designing the characters they got less and less I should say more and more further away from the original characters and then Bulma is kind of based off the monk himself and of course the main difference is that Bulma's a girl while the monk is a man but as has been pointed out a lot both of them spend most of the time being held captive and <laughs> whining and right think that. Well, another interesting thing is that in a lot of Japanese adaptations of Journey to the West, the monk is turned into a female. So that seems pretty common for at least what Toriyama is doing here. And so they're all on a journey, you know, so that's the general motif. But the scriptures are in one place, so they're not going, you know, they don't have to 
go to different places to find a piece here or a piece there, what, like with the Dragon Balls. Right. We kind of discussed this before, how the actual seven Dragon Balls are referenced to the uh, pearls in Hakenden. But anyway, and then the incident, the Mount Frypan in Dragon Ball is based off of the little mini uh, Fire Mountain episode in Journey to the West, which is kind of self-explanatory. It's a mountain that's on fire and they have to find a way past it. Right. It's one of the stories, and I think I've mentioned this a little bit before, some of the translations of Journey to the West, I think the Whaley version kind of omits all of the monster stories. And this is one of the just down to earth people, village, helping out a village, get around this place stories. And they need to get around it, and the villagers tell them, this is what's going on, we, we know of this thing that could help with it, and Wukong, and basically by himself, tries to take care of it. Yeah, and, you know, there's the fan. This is where the Basho Sen comes from. That's supposed to put out the fire, but it doesn't for some reason that I forgot. Well, it's it's because, and I'd love to cover this story. I was just rereading it before we started recording, so I think I'll do a follow-up at some point. Long story short, he goes to get it from the Ox Demon King's wife. Uh, she gives him a fake one first, and it makes it even worse, the fire. And then he goes back and gets the real one. So there's more to it. Yeah. And then so obviously uh, the Ox Demon King is the basis for Gyu Mao. You know, that's what Gyu Mao actually translates to. Right. It's a pretty straight name. Although, you know, the in Journey to the West, it's an actual, isn't he? He's an actual bull instead of just a guy with a helmet. Well, it, it's implied they, they talk about him having a large, I actually just reread this poem that described his appearance. He's got a big snout in a, a giant stance that makes all the other demons run away in fear. So it seems to be uh, maybe even a cross between a human and an actual giant demon bull but he's more than just a regular dude because he was actually one of wukong's friends from very early on in the story he there's actually a monkey queen and the bull demon king and a bunch of other guys that he kind of hangs out with and talk shit with so this is one of his early friends that comes back later in the story uh i guess that's the only uh fire mountain is the only incident the only specific incident from journey to the west that's adapted into the dragon ball manga right yeah more or less everything else is kind of just toriyama's own stuff and then basically that's it you know for the first story arc once they find the dragon balls you know they set off it's the tournament toriyama said that the tournament is more or less based off of in dr slump there are a lot of things like this there's the Penguin Village Grand Prix and the uh, Strongest in the World Tournament and things like that. And he says they were always really popular. And so he decided to bring that into Dragon Ball. And so you can see at this point, he's already stopped using Journey to the West as a template. So Toriyama kind of went away from that. But well, there are some people say that maybe Tenshinhan is based off of Erlong Shen, who's the guy who captures Wukong when he goes on his first rampage at the beginning, because they both have three eyes and they both actually beat Wukong slash Goku. But that's about their only similarities. And, you know, Toriyama's never said that Tenshinan's based off that guy, so I don't really buy it myself. Yeah, and, and by that point, he's long since abandoned the Journey to the West motif, so I, I, I don't think there's anything there. But uh, the anime staff did not forget. That's right. And so uh, they made, uh, in some of the filler episodes, there include a little more random references to Journey to the West, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Hooray! We're going to break it down, I guess, into two stories. We're going to go out of order 
for Dragon Ball, but in order for Journey to the West, which makes it a little fun. Jake, you're going to take what is basically the end of the first TV series with Anin, and uh, we've got some furnace action going on. And then we'll tell that story and we'll come back and I'll do Golden Horn and Silver Horn, which you may recognize as Ginkaku and Kinkaku. Right. So um, at the end of Dragon Ball, the first series, there's this five episode filler arc, uh, episodes 149 to 153. And so it concerns Goku and Chi Chi. They've, uh, you know, they've more or less said, oh, let's get married at the tournament. But now they actually have to go have an official ceremony. And so they go back to Mount Fry Pan or what's left of it, I guess, you know, where Guillaume has a big house, this big palace now, and a big village for some reason. Right. I don't know why everyone decided that they love Guillaume now. <laughs> it's very true because he was such a terrible guy at the beginning, then yeah. kind of backpedaled on that. So I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know, he's like some sort of mayor of this huge thriving village. <laughs> Everyone loves him. And anyway, so they go and they tell him that they're engaged. And so he brings out this old wedding dress that Chi-Chi's mother wore to, to their wedding. And Chi-Chi's mother has died. I don't think they explain why. No. In, the in the Daizenshu, they say she dies from an illness shortly after giving birth to Chi-Chi. But so um, pretty much at this point, I guess, a fire erupts all around uh, Gyumao's palace. And so they go to see Uranai Baba and she's you know does her divination thing and she sees an octagon or something and so they go off on this they figure that the way to put out the flames like before it should be the basho sen so they go to find that and Uranai Baba says oh it's this octagon so with this very vague clue they travel around the world and so they go to Oolong's hometown which is octagon village and they go to this old lady who raises bees and that their hives have octagon instead of hexagon shaped uh cells or cones or whatever and then they do all this stuff and finally they get a new basho sen they go back they use it but it only makes the flames worse which is taken uh, as you can kind of see from journey to the west right it's the fake fan that wukong brings back from princess iron fan that first time although in the in dragon ball it's actually a real basho sen more or less but urnai baba explains i don't know why she didn't know this before but <laughs> now she ex you know after they've wasted three episodes right. Now she says um, that these flames, you know, the first time the mountain caught fire, it was because of a fire spirit from heaven that fell. But this time, it's because it's these flames are from the Hakero, the furnace of eight trigrams. And I'll explain what the hell uh, eight trigrams are later. <laughs> but so it's this furnace, and it's located at the peak of Gogyozan, the mountain of five elements. And I'll explain what the five elements are later, too. <laughs> I, I love how we, you have to get through the story and not explain stuff just so you can get to explaining stuff. Yeah, maybe I should have structured this better. That's but all right. Anyway, so um, the mountain of five elements is on the opposite side of the world from Mount Frypan. And so somehow fire from there is spreading over to from there to there. And I don't know what this implies about the structure of Dragon Ball Earth's interior, but somehow that works. Just a series of tubes in there or something. <laughs> anyway, so... Goku and Chi-Chi, they get on Kintuan, they fly to the other side of the world, they go up the mountain, and they're attacked by phantoms. And eventually Goku figures, oh, this isn't real, and so once that happens, they can pass easily. They go to the top, and they find that at the top is actually Grandpa Gohan, who is working, he has a part-time job, he says. You know, he's dead uh, right. at this point. So in the afterlife, he's working part-time at this at the Mountain of Five Elements, and his boss is this person called Taijoro-kun, which more or less translates 
translates to the great old exalted old one. <laughs> or I said old twice, but anyway. So yeah, it's hard to. So I'm just gonna say Taijorokun from now on. That but works. Anyway, and so Taijorokun turns out to be this lady called Anin. This young-looking lady, but she actually says at one point, "Oh, I've been doing. I've been guarding this furnace for tens of thousands of years." At which point, Goki says, "Oh, you're an old lady then," <laughs> and she gets mad and fights him for a while. But anyway, well, you know what? That's a very, very direct reference to pretty much every chapter of Journey to the West, where Wukong will say something, usually innocently, but sometimes a little snarkily to people, and they'll say, how dare you, and they'll just attack him with weapons, and they'll banter back and forth for a bit. So that feels very Journey to the West, that conversation right there. Anand explains that the furnace of eight trigrams, it's, you know, it's this big giant furnace, and so the smoke that rises from it connects the the living world with the afterlife. So whenever anyone in the world dies, their spirits pass through this smoke to get to the afterlife, and then conversely, when, you know, the deceased in the afterlife, they want to come back to the living world to visit their relatives on holidays or things like that, then they also use this smoke. And so she says, uh, you know, I'd like to help you, but I can't put out the fire because if I do that, then all the spirits will be trapped on Earth and it'll be, you know, literally hell on Earth. You know, George Romero movie, you know, de- the hell's full, exactly. dead And they say, well, can't you just, you know, put it out for a little bit and then relight it? And she says, no, sorry, it'll take 2,000 years at least to restart it once it's been put out. And so it's at this point that Goku's like, oh, you're old. And so they fight. And then in the fight, Goku uses the Bashosen. And she sees it and is like, oh, I've got an idea. She says, okay, I'll lift up the furnace. And so Goku, you use the fan, you swing it, and it'll part the flames, you know, like Moses with the water. And you go through that safe passage to the bottom, and then you find the hole. There's a hole in the bottom of the fan. That's where the fire is getting through. And so you plug that up with, by an astounding coincidence, the only materials in the entire world that can fix the furnace, they've already found while they were trying to get the fan. <laughs> Love it. So he uses that, you know, he does all this, fixes it, jumps out again, uses the Nioibo to get him out just in time. And so, you know, the day is saved, fires out at Mount Frypan, and so they go, they get married, and Uranaiba is like, oh, look into your future. It's like, oh my god. Then next, the narrator's next story is in five years. And so that's what leads into Z. Very strangely. But okay, so that's the DB story. The reason we're doing this first, even though this comes at the end of the series, is because this is all a reference to the actual first section of Journey to the West. See, before they have the actual journey start, there's this whole big portion where they detail all the various adventures that Sun Wukong had before he was imprisoned and then forced to join up with the monk to travel to China or India. You know, he's born spontaneously from a rock, and he has various adventures. He studies under these Taoist mystics, and so he gets really powerful. And this is not really a good idea, because he just uses his power to cause all sorts of trouble. And so eventually, the Jade Emperor, who's the guy in charge of Taoist heaven, he says, well, let's give this guy a cushy job and a fancy title, and maybe that'll calm him down. I gotta tell you, this was one of my favorite parts of the entire 100-chapter story. That's why he's so popular. Wukong, he goes goes up to heaven and they give him this job and eventually he's asked so what is it i actually do and so they have to admit that he's more or less the stable boy or something <laughs> he's got this long elaborate title which he loves but he doesn't really do anything while he's up there he just kind of hangs out with the horses and that's when they let it slip that yeah you're, you're just kind of watching the horses yes it's uh, corporate you know corporatees yeah. in ancient china 
which is uh, in, one of actually the distinctive features of Chinese mythology is that heaven is this vast bureaucracy. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. They talk about all the various titles and whether or not they have any power. But even if you can't do anything with this title, you still outrank other people. It's very weird. And so, you know, in Dragon Ball, when they portray the afterlife as being like the DMV, they're not really straying <laughs> too far from the source material. Not at all. Anyway, so eventually he finds out he's in charge of the horses. And so this makes him furious. So he goes on another rampage and he fights, you know, heaven's armies. They send everything they have after him. And then finally, the aforementioned Erlang Shen, uh, God General with Three Eyes, finally manages to capture him. So they tie him up, they take him to court, and so they, you know, sentence him to death. And they try and execute him, but they can't. They can't kill him. I love it. You know, they can't harm him in any way. You know, they throw lightning at him. Doesn't do anything. They throw fire. Nothing. And so finally, Lao Zi, the founder of Taoism himself, comes up and he explains that, you know, because Wukong has eaten all these divine foods and he's even he ate like five bowlfuls of Lao Zi's own immortality elixir, <laughs> he's now uh, like harder than a diamond. So he's invincible by all normal means. And so Lousy says that he have to put him inside his alchemical furnace, the furnace of eight trigrams. And so put him in there for 49 days, at which point his body will be reduced to ashes while all the elixir that he ate will just gather at the bottom. So he puts him in the furnace, but Wukong manages, he thinks up this way of uh, surviving, which I will also explain later. <laughs> and so he, he gets out and then he goes on, a, you know, goes on another rampage. He pushes Lousy down, you know, just all these great and reverend people he just makes a mockery of until finally they're like, okay, this isn't going well. Let's get Buddha. <laughs> their secret weapon you might be wondering like okay you know i said this is all taoist so what's buddha doing there but that's kind of how it's set up in the worldview in china is that they have different religions like buddhism or taoism but they're not seen as contradictory but more like complementary yeah yeah but they have their own like sections of heaven or something like that and so Buddha's in the West. Like I mentioned, he was born in India. He lives in the Western part of heaven. And so they have to send for him. And so he is hanging out with all of his uh, Buddhist atvas, all the other Buddhist, you know, important figures. And he's like, uh, I got to go uh, bail the Taoists out of this mess they're in. <laughs> right, right. So he goes over and he confronts the monkey king and he says, OK, I'll make you a bet. If you can stand on my hand, if you can jump off of my hand in a single leap, then you will get the Jade Emperor's throne and rule heaven. But if you can't, then you have to go back down to the mortal world and do penance there. And so Monkey's like, oh, this is easy. You know, he, he's a superhuman being. He can jump, you know, thousands of miles in a single bound, you know, better than Superman. And so he gets on the Buddha's hand and he leaps, you know, for all he's worth and he goes up, up above the clouds until he reaches these five great pillars. And so he's like, oh, this must be the end of the world. And so... He says, okay, all right. He writes, you know, great, his title is Great Sage, Equal of Heaven. The title he chose for himself, I should say. And I believe he also pees while he's up there. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So he writes this, like, oh, Kilroy was here, and he pees, and then he jumps back down, and then... You know, he's thinking, ha I've won. And Buddha's like, ah, you didn't actually get off my hand. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? So Buddha show, says, you know, those five pillars you saw, those were just my fingers. And he shows his hand and on his finger is written in really tiny, uh, great sage equal of heaven was here. And you can smell monkey urine coming from his fingers. <laughs> 
So it's like the moral of the story is that Buddha is everywhere. He's like omnipresent, so you can't jump off his hand. Right. No matter where you pee, you're peeing on Buddha. Exactly. And so at this point, Monkey's like, oh, this has to be a trick. But before he can uh, really do anything, Buddha throws him back down to earth, and then he transforms his five fingers into the five elements, the five classical Chinese elements, which are um, fire, water, earth, wood and uh, metal and so these the five elements they all combined into this a mountain appropriately enough called the mountain of five elements which crashes down on top of wukong and then just to seal him there for good measure he writes this um, mantra on the mountain and so that causes the mountain to take root and hold firm and so wukong is stuck there for centuries until eventually he gets let out to accompany uh, tripitaka on the journey to the west so you can see that the connections between this and the Dragon Ball story, there are three, and they're all names, basically, because the stories themselves are completely different. Right. But there's the Mountain of Five Elements, the Furnace of Eight Trigrams, and then Lao Zi. And you might be wondering, you know, what Lao Zi, where was he in Dragon Ball? But I should note that Lao Zi has a lot of different names. You see, Lao Zi itself is only an honorary title, means uh, something like elder teacher something like that right but, you know in real life he had oh i can't remember his name but he had a completely different name in life although it's debatable whether he actually existed or not but he has a lot of different titles and one of them in chinese is tai sheng lao jun which means the great exalted old one and in japanese is read as taijo rokun which was Anin's title in Dragon Ball. So it's these three elements. You know, the Dragon Ball story, it's a, this person with the title Taijoro-kun who has a furnace called the Furnace of Eight Trigrams, and there's also a mountain of five elements involved. It's just using these names, but for completely different things in a different story, but that's more or less the same thing Toriyama did with, right. you know, naming his hero Goku and things like that. It's all very liberal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess I should finally get around to explaining what the trigrams are. <laughs> I think so. We'll wrap your section up with trigrams. Okay, so the furnace is called the Furnace of Eight Trigrams. And if you're wondering what these are, they're um, literally the name for them. It's in Chinese, it's Bagua. I don't know how to pronounce that. In Japanese, it's Hake. And literally, it's this is instead of trigrams, it's just divination signs, you know, fortune telling signs. But they're called trigrams because each one consists of three lines. And each of these three lines can be either broken or unbroken. And so this gives you a total of eight different possible combinations of broken or unbroken lines. And so that's where the eight trigrams are. And these have been used, they go way, way back in China, and they're very important Taoist symbols. And so that's why Laozi, the founder of Taoism, has a furnace that's uh, set up with these symbols. And they say in the story, it is eight compartments, each corresponding to one of the symbols. And so these are used in all kinds of things, like they're said to correspond to different elements or different um, colors or things like that. If you've ever heard of the I Ching, it's this book of I guess another book of fortune telling, more or less, where it's the 64 possible pairs of each of these trigrams. And so you're supposed to just flip a coin six times, more or less, and then convert that into a series of six broken, unbroken lines, look up the corresponding trigram pair, and then read the fortune, and that's what you should do. Although, obviously, it's written so vague that it could be anything. It's like, you know, uh, be bold or something. Right, right. You know, they can't be too specific here. So really, it's got nothing to do with Dragon Ball. When uh, Ur and I bother explains all this, they actually show each of the trigrams and their kanji that correspond to them, because they each correspond to an element. Right, okay. I guess element isn't the right word, but you know, there's uh, one corresponds to fire or wind or things like that, marshes, 
And so this is how Wukong survives in the furnace because, you know, there's fire everywhere. But so he figures, okay, I'll climb into the compartment that corresponds to wind because wind blows out fire. So that's where there won't be any fire. And so he just holds up there. But because, you know, wind causes smoke when it hits fire, he was safe. But there was so much smoke that his eyes became permanently red. And so, you know, but he still survives by this you know, it's like Pokemon, basically. Right, that's his weakness. I'm pretty sure that he does have a weakness to smoke for the remainder of the story. Yeah, so uh, it's super effective. Hooray! Anyway, so surprise, that's the eight trigrams, and they're really just name-dropped in Dragon Ball, but yeah. they actually figure more or less importantly in Journey to the West. And then there's the five elements, or phases, I guess you could say. See, these are actual kanji written for, you know, it's kanji for five, and then the kanji for, like, movement or to go, and so gogyo. And so there's a lot of debate over how best to translate the term, because some say elements gives the wrong idea, because it's not like, I guess it got started because Jesuits, when they reached China, they compared these to the classical Greek elements, you know, fire, earth, water, wind. And so, but the thing about the Chinese ones, and I guess just to reference again, these are metal, wood, earth, fire, and water. They're supposed to be more like stages that everything passes through, more or less. So that's why some people like to translate it as like the five phases or the five steps. But these are seen as kind of, now that I've said elements is the wrong term, I don't know what to call them. (laughs) But it's kind of a natural philosophy theory that explains everything as coming about through the interaction of these five phases of matter. And so everything passes from one stage to the other, and it's tied up to a lot of stuff that's probably these i get when it was made it was probably a good theory but these days it's more or less just new age uh just to give my opinion there (laughs) anyway i I share that opinion it is uh hopefully i haven't offended anyone but i hope we have but so that's what the five elements or phases or steps are and so that's again in dragon ball they're just name tricked but in journey to the west they actually figure more or less importantly all right so that is a, a whole bunch of name dropping that ended up as a mini filler arc at the very end of the series I guess what we'll do now is turn, I don't know, kind of to the middle of the first TV series here, right? More or less. A little past the midway point. 79 out of 153. Right. So episode 79 of Dragon Ball. Name of the episode is King Kaku and Ging Kaku's Man-Eating Gourd. It's uh, very much a reference to Journey to the West, and this is why we're actually answering Judy's email. Uh, You'll remember she was talking about some Naruto characters. Those characters are named Kinkaku and Ginkaku, and I, I don't know a whole lot about Naruto characters. I never made it past the filler before the filler in the TV series, so this is all completely foreign to me. But I'm going to tell you from the Dragon Ball perspective what's going on here. First thing I'll do is actually take you through this Dragon Ball episode. So we've got these two characters in episode 79, Kinkaku and Ginkaku. They're brothers. They're just wreaking havoc on the town. They really like the vegetables there. So they basically just come. I think it's once a month. They chow down. They drink all they want. And they just act like a whole bunch of jackasses, really. So the village has a little girl named Chow. She's, I don't know, she's kind of off looking for a strong guy to come beat up these two other strong guys. First thing she comes across is this giant tiger guy with a sword, kind of a recurring <laughs> Dragon Ball side bad guy. Uh, he agrees to take the money and come beat them up, but first he's going to eat her. So she's all frightened. Goku shows up. Um, she's tossed some of her food to the side. So while they're busy about to be eaten or whatever, he's like, hey, can I eat this food that you threw down? And they both kind of pause and they're like, I 
guess so. So he eats the food and he ends up beating up the tiger guy and going off to town with Chow to beat up the other guys because he's off training right now. Jake, what is this little mini arc taking place between? Because it's kind of like Goku just training by himself. Well, it takes place after the events with Urinai Baba, where he sets off to train on his own for three years before the 22nd Tenkaichi Budokai. Ah, okay. And so in the manga, it just skips you know, straight ahead three years later, but there's... I think it's five episodes again yeah, yeah. of filler in the manga. And the interesting thing here is he's journeying to the east. So it's kind of, he's going the wrong way, but he's traveling in the direction. Anyway, so what really strikes fear in the villagers, it's not just that these two guys, Ginkaku and Kinkaku, are strong. They have this magical gourd. What they do is they randomly do roll calls, what they call it, where they just call out the names of some of the villagers. If the villager does not answer them almost immediately, that villager is sucked into the gourd and eventually dissolves into sake. Now, everyone's worried because, uh, what's her name? Chow, I think it is. Yeah, Chow. She's not back yet, but she gets there in time. She's got Goku with her and they're all kind of watching and the two brothers are calling out names and everyone's like, ah, hi, hi, they're here. Then they come across this mother near the front with this little baby who is only two weeks old. So they're like, hey, what's your kid's name? And so she's kind of doesn't want to answer. She's kind of avoiding the question. Ultimately, she provides the name. The baby's not going to be able to answer. So this is where Goku jumps in. And uh, King Kaku attacks him with a sword. And eventually Goku's name is called out. He does not respond because... He's naive. Goku doesn't really know what's going on. He's too busy attacking. So he gets sucked into the gourd. He's saved, though, because he stretches out Nyoibo, kind of near the topish of the area. He can't break out, though, even with the Kamehameha. Being Goku, he's got to pee, so he pees just down to the bottom of the gourd, all the stuff down there. The brothers uh, check out the gourd a little bit. They're swishing around, which is Goku's pee. So they figure that he has been dissolved. They open the gourd back up. But Goku just jumps out, grabs the gourd. And he calls out their names in random order. He knows how it works now. And he does it this really obnoxious number of times. He flies through their names. He doesn't do them in order. He'll call one name three times and then one name twice. And he just goes all over the place. They call out, hi, 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 just in response. They think they've got the right amount, but they're actually off by one. And both of them get sucked inside. Being Goku, he makes them promise, hey, don't do bad things anymore. And he lets them back out. So really, it wraps up with the villagers keeping they watch them as they till the fields to uh, kind of make up for all the vegetables that they've eaten. And they just randomly call out their names to make sure they're paying attention. And so Goku is saved the day and he runs off. What does this have to do with Journey to the West? Well, the characters Ginkaku and Kinkaku, that is uh, Golden Horn and Silver Horn. I don't know if I said them in the right order there, but these are two characters from Journey to the West. So Jake, like you, I think what I'll do is kind of breeze through what the story is from Journey to the West, and you'll be able to see what some of the similarities are and what some of the differences are. So in the original story, you've got these two monsters. They decide to kidnap Tripitaka, who's the main priest. And this is a recurring theme throughout Journey to the West. The monsters, they're going to kidnap him and they're going to eat his flesh so they can gain, if not eternal life, well, exceptionally long life. So we've got Silverhorn, who's a younger brother. He heads off with 30 of his minions, but he ends up just capturing Chu Pachie, who's the Oolong character. And they fight for 20 rounds and they send his minions off. They fight him. They bring him back and Goldenhorn, who's the older brother, is like, ah, it's just a pig. I don't really care about him. Maybe we'll eat him. 
but hey, let's go after the priest again. So now they send out 50 minions to look for him. Silverhorn eventually goes out in disguise as an injured monk. He's going to lead them back to their home cave. He comes across Tripitaka. Tripitaka says, all right, Wukong, you know what? I'm going to ride the horse. I want you to carry him back. So he does. The thing is, Wukong can tell when it's a monster. So he knows immediately that this is just some monster guy. So Silverhorn eventually uses some magic, and he actually pins Wukong down with some mountains, which is something we've seen before, where he's just, all right, we're going to try to pin this monkey dude down. He grabs Tripitaka and heads on home. So now the brothers send out these two minions, specifically Sly Devil and Wily Worm, with two of their treasures. They've got the red gourd of purple gold and the pure mutton jade vase. They're going to use these two treasures to capture Wukong. So with these two... If they call out his name and he answers to his name, he will be immediately sucked in and then they can trap him inside there with some magic words. The thing here is after an hour and three quarters, very specific amount of time, he will be reduced to pus. So Wukong disguises himself. He's managed to get out of the mountains by now and you're going to see him disguise himself quite a few times as they come looking for him. He's like, oh yeah, I hate that monkey guy too. Uh, What are you guys up to? What are you doing out here? Oh, you've got two treasures, huh? Well, he takes out a piece of his hair, which he does very often. He can turn it into anything. I think he's the master of 72 transformations, something like that. So he makes this fake gourd of his own. He says, you know what? My gourd can hold heaven. Yours can only hold two people. We should trade. This would be really good for you guys. They're like, all right, you know, if you can prove to us that your gourd can store heaven, we'll do this. So in the background, Wukong has some secret talkings with a bunch of local deities, and it gets up to the Jade Emperor himself, Jake, who you were talking about earlier. The Jade Emperor arranges for the sky to be blackened out. And so this makes it look like Wukong has indeed stored heaven in his gourd. And there's a little funny bit there where it's all black, and he kind of pushes them near the edge of a cliff, and he's like, hey, look, you can't see where cliffs are. You should take this gourd, and we can let heaven out, and you can see where you're going again. So they make the trade, and they vow to be struck with a plague should they ever regret their decision. So now that everything's back to normal, Wukong disappears. The two minions figure they've been taken advantage of, and they head back to their brothers. They've lost two of the treasures, but they still have the seven-star sword and the palm leaf fan. Their mom has the other treasure of theirs, the yellow gold rope. So they send another two minions, who are Hill Pawning Tiger and Sea Lolling Dragon, off to get her and the treasure. They're like, hey, now if you come back here, bring the treasure, we'll let you eat the monk as well, and we can all get old together. So Wukong follows them, and he eventually interrupts these two minions. Like, hey, I'm actually a member of your clan, blah, 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 blah. They don't believe him. Like, why would you be here? He says, you know... I was sent after you guys to kind of prod you along the way because the brothers knew you would just goof off and you would take too long. So the two minions are like, you know what? That's pretty accurate. We would do that. So they they believe he is who he says he is. They get there to the mom's place. He knocks them out. Wukong takes them out. He takes another hair out, disguises himself as these two minions, and he gets the mom. Long story short, he starts heading back with the mom. And as they're almost there, he kills the mom and all the minions that are with him or with her. And it's a very bloody scene, very descriptive in uh, Journey to the West with brains flying everywhere. It's uh, it's very violent from time to time. So now Wukong disguises himself as Goldenhorn and Silverhorn's mom. Pachie's been captured. 
Uh, and as he see Wukong come in, he saw the tail, so he knows it's actually Wukong and not the mom. Wukong says, as the mom, you know, I'm not too keen on eating the monk here, but the ears of that pig guy sound really tasty. And these two, they're at each other's necks all the time. So Pachi lets it slip who's who at this point. So Wukong is attacked with the seven-star sword by the brothers. It's all fun and games to him, though. He's got his golden hooped rod, the compliant rod, which is basically Nyoibo. The fight's really just a piece of cake for him. Goldenhorn wants to give up, but Silverhorn wants to fight. He's not ready to let this go. He gets his armor on, they go for it. Wukong knows the gourd won't work against Silverhorn, though, because obviously it's Silverhorn's treasure. He just won't answer to his name. So he ends up lassoing Silverhorn with a rope. But again, Silverhorn, it's his treasure. He knows how to deal with it, though, and he ends up capturing Wukong. Drags him back, but again, Wukong escapes and just ends up disguising himself as a minion. He swaps the rope for a fake one, and now he transforms himself into this made-up fake brother of himself. So he has the evil brothers. He's like, hey, I'm here. I'm the brother of Wukong, blah, 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 blah. This is my name, and I'm so important. So he makes them call out his name, and he wonders for a bit, all right, it's not really my name. I wonder if I answer to my fake name, will I get sucked up into the gourd? So he answers to the fake name, and he gets sucked into the gourd. So now he's trapped inside. He thinks about pissing or spinning or something in there for them to swish around, make it sound like he's dissolving, but he just starts going like, oh no, my ankle has dissolved. Oh no, now I'm up to my hip. And so they think that he's actually dissolving inside. Takes another hair out of himself, and he turns it into like a half-dead body that sits on the bottom of the gourd. So when they peek in, they see this half-dead body. They think it's going well. Wukong flies out. So now he disguises himself as a minion. Again, constant disguising himself. He would just watches them drink and drink and drink. They think they've won. So now when they're good and drunk, he swaps the gourd for a fake one, and he keeps a real one for himself. Now he comes back as another fake brother of himself with yet a different name, and now this one's got a gourd. So remember, he's got the real one, they've got a fake one. So he tricks Silverhorn into explaining the history, and he's like, yeah, I got it from the same place, we did the same thing. So they decide to call out each other's names. Silverhorn still thinks he's got the real one, so he ends up getting sucked inside to the real one that Wukong has. So now Goldenhorn's like, alright, what do we got for treasures? Well, the vase is useless, and that's been passed on to Wukong. Well, I got this seven-star sword and the fan. So he calls up 300 of his minions, and they head off to fight. They fight for 20 rounds, and then the minions just gang up on Wukong. And they're interesting, because they actually get more ferocious as they fight. So Wukong might lose, but what he does is he rips out a bunch of hair, kind of like this multiplication technique, and he just dominates the fight at this point. So now it's just Goldenhorn. So he takes out the fan, and he's facing south, and he swipes it to produce fire, which Wukong just jumps over. He goes back to the cave to rescue everyone, but he just grabs the vase and leaves again. So now Goldenhorn's left by himself. He's got corpses all around him. He doesn't know what to do, so he just falls asleep. Wukong goes back again. He's feeling a little sorry. He goes to rescue everyone. But as he's coming in, he tiptoes in, and he tries to steal the weapons off of Goldenhorn. He grabs a fan, but he kind of like brushes it against Goldenhorn's neck, so that wakes him up. So now he's attacked again with the seven-star sword. But Wukong wins, and Goldenhorn takes off kind of with his tail between his legs. Wukong unties everyone. They stay there for the night, and they just eat a whole bunch of vegetables. Closing in on the end of the story here. So Goldenhorn takes off to his mom's place, even though she's 
dead. He doesn't really know what's going on. And he tells all the female minions what happened. His uncle shows up there, who is Great King Fox Number 7, and they go back to the cave in search of revenge. The fox ends up getting killed when Shamong joins in on the fight, too. He's, again, Wukong saved everyone. And it's actually Pachie Pixie who uh, delivers the final blow with his rake. That's what he fights with, is this awesome rake. Golden Horn goes after Pachie for this, but now that all three of the disciples are involved in the fight, it's just too much, he takes off. This is kind of how the fight ends, though. Wukong follows him and he calls out his name. He thinks it's one of his own minions calling his name, so Goldenhorn answers, and he gets sucked inside the vase. So Wukong now grabs the seven-star sword for himself. And in conclusion to the story, after it's all done, this blind dude shows up and he says, Hey, give me my treasures back. This guy is actually Jake. I'm not even sure how to say his name anymore because we've gone through a bunch of titles for him. Lousy. <laughs> all right, Lousy. Uh, he's the one who tends to the elixir of life and all that stuff we were talking about earlier. So it turns out that this whole time, the two demon brothers were just sent as a test for Wukong, testing his dedication to protecting Tripitaka. And those are actually his treasures, so he's got to hand them over. And this is a little weird because as he gets the treasures, the story notes that they're even in the Sun family to this day but he handed them over kind of at the end of the story here. So I'm not really sure what's going on. So now that we have the Dragon Ball story, we've got the Journey to the West story. What connections do we have? Obviously the two brothers by name, Ginkaku, Gin is silver, Kaku is horn. And we've got uh, King Kaku, Kin being gold and Kaku being horn. So really, it's the two characters. And in the uh, TV episode for Dragon Ball, they actually wear that respective kanji on their shirts as well. The big difference here, though, is the gourd. In Journey to the West, it sucks you up if you do answer to your name. Whereas in the Dragon Ball episode here, you get sucked into the gourd if you do not answer to your name. We were talking earlier about uh, jumping off of Buddha's hand and peeing at the top of what he thought were mountains. Well, here we go. In Journey to the West, Wukong's thinking about peeing inside there. He ultimately doesn't, though. Over in Dragon Ball, Goku does pee inside, but it's not out of malice or anything. It's just he's Goku and he has to pee. So he does. And really, in the Dragon Ball story, it's, it's this whole village and it's this whole ordeal. But over in Journey to the West, no one else is really involved other than a bunch of local deities when um, Wukong is pinned down under the mountains. They're like, oh, man, we're supposed to be covering this area. He got trapped in our area. Oh, man, he's totally going to kick our asses when he gets out of here. And he's like, no, no, I won't. Just, you know, get me out of here. We'll be all good. So he gets out. And he's like, all right, bend over. I'm going to kick your asses down. I'm like, no, sir, please, please don't hurt us. So that is the uh, correlation between Journey to the West and Dragon Ball. Judy was asking about Naruto. So is the seven star sword and the palm leaf fan a reference to Dragon Ball? Well, Jake, we uh, mentioned earlier that the seven Dragon Balls is actually just the eight pearls from Hakenden minus one. So it's not the exact same thing. So the seven star sword is just the seven star sword from Journey to the West. And the palm leaf fan is a Basho Sen, a palm leaf fan. Now, the thing is that there's another palm leaf fan, which is the one you were talking about with your story with Yumao and Chi-Chi and putting out the fire. From what I've been able to gather, and some folks in um, our chat were helping me with this, it seems like the fan is not given a proper name, like there's no specific noun that goes along with it. It's just more of a description of a fan. So I think they're two separate fans that just happen to both be called 
the palm leaf fan. Sometimes you'll see it referred to as the banana fan or the plantain fan, something like that, but they seem to be two different ones because the one that the demon brothers have, all we see it do is produce fire with a swipe, but the actual Basho Sen that we see later on with Princess Iron Fan, it can do a bunch of stuff depending on um, how many times you swipe it. So, this all being said, Toriyama kind of abandons Journey to the West after the first story arc, but we have the TV version producers, which kind of hang on to it at least for a little while longer and do some fun stuff with it. Ta-da! Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Well, I guess one of the only other ones we could talk about would be kind of a, a more in-depth version of the fight against Princess Iron Fan and the Palm Leaf Fan there, so... Maybe we'll follow up with that at some point. Are there any other Journey to the West references in the series? I have to imagine there are, and I just have to rewatch some filler. Kind of depends. I mean, some people say there are, but they seem kind of like of a stretch, you know? Okay. Like, we mentioned uh, Tin Shinhan and Erlong Shen before. Right. Like, some people say, you know, they've got three eyes. That must be it. But you have to keep in mind that in Asian mythology, having three eyes is kind of like having wings. It's just, <laughs> right. you know, dozens of characters have it, so it doesn't really say much that these two happen to. And I think um, oh, Shinobi01 on the forums, he's a huge Journey to the West fan. I think it's okay. Three. Oh, three. <laughs> I'm sorry. Zero three. He's called me out on that zero before. Three. Okay. So anyway, he was mentioning some stuff like uh, the PP Condies, Condies, the PP <laughs> that um, uh, Bulma gives to Oolong. You know, she feeds him these, and the, so whenever she goes pee pee pee, he is seized with uncontrollable diarrhea. And so she uses that to keep him in line. And so Shinobi was saying that's kind of similar to the crown that Wukong has in Journey to the West, right. where I forgot who originally, but someone, this god is like, here, put this on. And he does. And then it turns out that whenever Tripitaka uh, does, whenever he wants to, it will squeeze his head, right. causing this huge headache. So that's what he uses to keep him in line. One interesting thing, this is almost certainly unintentional, but, you know, Majin Buu's story is sort of similar to Wukong's in that he's this being who is created more or less by accident he just you know he causes all this trouble for the gods he's sealed away for a long time and then he's revived again when goku in the filler when goku goes to hell and he eats the fruit that enma's fruit or something that's right. kind of similar to um this part where wukong goes down to hell and does something similar yeah he he does he eats some of the fruits up there yeah because he's supposed to guard the peach tree and then oh another thing he mentions that you know, the episode with the snake princess is kind of it's not a specific reference, but it's patterned after a lot of the episodes from Journey to the West. Yeah, yeah. Where they they meet this person who's a, really a demon in disguise. Right. Well, we saw that with um, Silverhorn, who disguised himself as this injured monk. He's like, oh, please take me home. Yeah. So that's kind of stuff that's kind of neat to maybe pick out, even if it's probably not intentional. Right, right. They're close enough that huh, maybe he was thinking about that when he uh, was coming up with the story. Um, I guess while we're still on the topic with Naruto, I don't think you mentioned that uh, Silverhorn and Goldhorn, their, their mother, you mentioned her mother, but she's supposed to be a nine-tailed fox. Right, right. So that's obviously a Naruto collect connection right there. Right, I, I did mention their uncle was a fox, but their um, mother was a fox spirit as well, so that definitely carries over. And I think those characters... Was I reading that they can use four of the five treasures? So, I mean, it's very directly Journey to the West. Yeah, something like that. I don't really read Naruto either. And I guess they were mentioning that there's 
four-tailed monkey or something these days, too, in Naruto. Oh, geez, I have no idea. I don't know. There's some picture, but, you know, there's Naruto, his thing, it's the nine-tailed beast, which is the fox, and then there's, you know, other beasts with different number of tails, and so the one with four is this monkey that Kishimoto said was inspired by Wukong. Well, if I remember um, from earlier in the series against the the fight with Orochimaru, um, the Hokage of the the village, he, I don't remember what the deal was, like his summon was basically Wukong, he, he had Nyoibo and everything. So there you go. Ta-da! Journey to the West. Lots of Dragon Ball stuff. Maybe even just as much Naruto stuff. But um, we were talking about it with this thread that you and I put up on the forum. Uh, If you're a big Naruto fan, you can probably chime in and give some more detail on what's going on there. Especially now that you've heard, if you haven't heard them before, what these full stories are. uh, Particularly with Ginkaku and Ginkaku. So there you go. Jake. Thanks so much for talking Journey to the West. I've been meaning to do this for uh, six years. Six, seven years. <laughs> Your ability to catch up on emails is about equivalent to my own. <laughs> Although it does happen at some point. Uh, yeah. I guess we can mention, if you're interested in reading Journey to the West, my favorite translation that I've read, I've read a couple, is the Unabridged Complete Translation by Anthony C. U. It's four volumes, 100 chapters spread across them. It's just paperback. I forget how much the volumes go for. It's like 20 a pop. So it's a little bit of an investment. And I've heard some people are like, oh man, that that's so long. There's so much to read. I feel like, well, if you've read all the Harry Potter books, then this isn't even as long as that. So I don't feel like it's that much of an investment. You can totally jump in. And then there's some abridged ones. There's I actually have two abridged versions that are both called Monkey. Yeah, yeah, I see that often. The more famous one was by Arthur Whaley. And I guess it was published during the 50s, and it's about 250 pages. And it's pretty good. And then there's, there's I have this even more abridged one that's like 200 pages with very large type. Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, I mean not, not absurdly large, but it's still noticeably larger. But And that's pretty good, I guess. But The full versions the way to go yeah the thing i don't like the most about either of the two monkey ones is that you know they just call him monkey you know right, wukong's right. monkey uh the other guy there's pigsy sandy it's like you know it's written for a five-year-old apparently and the whole thing with monkey himself as a character is that he goes through these what like eight different names over the course of the series some of which he gives himself which makes it all the more hilarious i mean they do keep his old you know they keep great stage equal of heaven and things like that and i guess they do mention his actual you know song wukong it means that's the name the his first taoist master gives him. Right. And it means aware of uh, Wukong means aware of vacuity or the vacuum. And uh, Son is just a family name, means grandchild. And so they mention that in the story, but then they never use it again after that. <laughs> the thing I don't get is that they apparently assume that I'm too stupid to remember that the monkey has any other name besides monkey. monkey. But then they, they toss out all these random, these names of all these deities, like, you know, the four heavenly kings and the jade emperor and the 30 gods of fire. All these elaborate names, they just toss out it without explanation. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, am I a genius or an idiot? Would you make up your mind? <laughs> It's nothing compared to the unabridged version. Like I was mentioning in the story, any little minion that goes off to do anything, they've got a name. Not only do they have a name, but they're from this very particular cave in this very particular region. There's a lot of poetry that describes everything. It's it's a fun read, but it's an investment in terms of, do you want to read a three-page poem describing this person's armor? Sometimes. 
Not necessarily yeah. all the time. I guess besides, you know, cutting out those poems, the main difference would probably, the basic story structure is always going to be the same, but the meat of the journey, it's all very episodic. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all these adventures, they don't really have anything to do with each other. They go to this place, they fight this demon, they go to another place, fight this monster. And so you can just take out a lot of stuff like that. And so that's the main difference between versions is which of those random adventures is included or not. And early on, I'm pretty sure this is one of the parts that was a struggle the first time that I was going through it was there's several chapters and maybe even something like half of the first book that's just the history of Tripitaka's ancestors like his parents and his grandparents and it just shifts to that story and I remember thinking who the hell am I reading about right now I don't even know who these characters are what happened to the Monkey King where are we going with this but it's actually kind of important to really get his full character because he's the 10th reincarnation of the golden cicada or something like that and that's why everyone wants to eat him. <laughs> All right, we should wrap it up because otherwise we'll just start telling the entire story of Journey to the West. In the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, there was a stone and he made friends. Jake, thanks so much for uh, joining me here talking Journey to the West. We've been meaning to do it for so long and I hope we covered it in enough depth and uh, with at least a little bit of humor from the original story. Yeah, I mean, if the audience hasn't been driven mad by now, then that's probably the story for them. Yes, absolutely. I promise you there is an amazing amount of pee and feces in the story with the occasional brain splattering all over the place, usually followed by laughter and a vegetable dinner. If that is your thing, you definitely want to check out Journey to the West. So, Jake, uh, a plug for Konzentai before we're done. www.kanzentai for all your Dragon Ball needs. Konzentai.com Love the delivery on that. All right, we're going to wrap it up. This has been your topic for this episode. Goddamn, I hope you enjoyed it, because I know I sure did. All right, why don't you get me started here? March 4th, it's Friday. Uh, March 4th, Friday, uh, we have the Dragon Ball Kai DVD single disc. This is the Jinzo Ningen and Cell Arc Volume 6 and overall Volume 24. It contains Kai episodes 70 through 72, and it is a 16 by 9 aspect ratio crop standard definition. It's going for 2,940 yen on um, MSRP, but it's going for 2,800 on CD Japan and 2,100 on Amazon Japan. Yeah, nice cheaper deals over on Amazon. Bringing it back to, oh geez, where are we going here? Is this the US? I think it is. More Kai stuff. We're getting part four. This is the Blu-ray and DVD release from Funimation. These are Kai episodes 40 through 52. We got the full four by three, the proper aspect ratio on both Blu-ray and DVD. The MSRP on this one for now is still 54.98 Blu-ray and 49.98 on DVD. Uh, remember, we know that these are going to be dropping soon, so you might want to hold off a little bit on this, but right now, Amazon still got some decent prices on them. Last I looked, the Blu-ray was 50 cents cheaper than the DVD. So there's some good deals out there on Kai if you're willing to look for it. Uh, Scott, you're going over to France here. Uh, March 16th, which is Wednesday. Uh, the French Kanzenban, uh, Dragon Ball Volume 13 will be released. It's going for... What is that? Ten fifty-five, and uh, you can pre-order it at Amazon France for flat out ten. Yuppers. All right, let's close out March. We got two things over in Japan. These are both music. The aforementioned Dragon Ball Kai original soundtrack collection, maybe soundtrack four. Don't know. This does have updated catalog numbers. It is COCX three six seven four nine. Uh, and I think it's maybe 4.8 and 4.9. I have to double check on that, but it's got two numbers there. 
we don't really know what's going to be on it at this point, but the MSRP has been bumped up to $34.65. You can get it on CD Japan for $3,300. Also that same day, Dragon Ball Raging Blast 2 soundtrack. This is one we're very, very psyched for. Catalog number on this is LACA15111. This one's a flat 3,000 yen. CD Japan will save you about a buck or so. And uh, that's it for March. April's going to be jam-packed. May's going to be jam-packed. So there's a ton of stuff coming out in the near future. Open up your wallets. Japan, the US, France, Germany, they're all willing. The merchandise train never stops. That's right. Uh, so we're, we're done with the show here. Oof. Ta-da! We're going to skip emails because uh, the entire topic session basically was an email, if not multiple emails. So I, I think we gave you guys as much as we can possibly give out this week. So uh, we'll wrap it up. I'll say, Mr. Kaiser Neko, thank you for joining us here on 249. And thank you for putting up with me, screwing everything up. It's okay. You know what? I have had people come on here, people who are regular hosts on the show, not naming any names. Who but uh, I can read. I can read the words on the screen. I wonder about that sometimes with people. <laughs> very, very close people to me. Sometimes I'm not entirely <laughs> sure if uh, we're all literate here. Uh, you want to toss anything out there? Anything you want to plug? I mean, of course you got stuff to plug. Well, you know, I, I do that thing where I do funny voices over anime characters who are 20 years old. I, I hear that's popular on the internet these days. Oh, yeah, you know, we're totally, we're huge. We're getting invited to all these conventions. I've met Vic Mignogna. He's a great guy. But no, um, yeah, I do Dragon Ball Z Abridged over on YouTube. Team Four Star, if anybody, if anyone who uh, listens to the podcast has not heard already, it, it's a lot of fun. And maybe you'll find it fun. Maybe you won't. I don't mind. And uh, yeah, uh, you can also find us at TeamFourStar.com. And yeah, if, if, if you're new to it and you check it out, I hope you like it. Awesome. Well, this brings 249 to a close. Next week on the show, I'm pretty sure we're going to do our manga review of Awesomeness, Volume 38. You guys would be so proud of me. I am already done a week ahead of time with all my notes, and Jeff already has the manga in his possession. Hey, I, I mean, sometimes it's like Saturday morning, I go, shit. Can I drive the manga over to you this morning and then we'll record this evening? It's like, I'm a week ahead of schedule. I feel so incredibly badass that I almost can't take it. Nice. You know, we're never that prepared. (laughs) I never am either, but just the one time that I am, I feel really good about it. So I figure I should tell the entire internet about it. And And of course, the next time you're going to slack off extra hard, procrastinate even more because you're like, oh, come on. I was done a week ahead of time last time. (laughs) Uh, It's it's sad because it's true. All right. So that's it. Uh, So for Kaiser Neko out there, for Julian, who's off in Japan, for Mary, who's out right now, for all the Constantine folks that join us and all our extended communities. Uh, thank you to all of them. My name is Mike. You can check us all out through the internet, www.daizex.com. That is the home location hideout of Daizenshi EX. All of us kind of like spill out and go other places from there. So that's it. I'm going to pull a Julian here. You ready for this? Daizenshi EX podcast. And extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Uh, this one, this, this, this goes to you. Come on now. What is it? What's the name uh, of it? Uh, uh, we cover anything and everything. Dragon no, no, Ball no. The name of the name of the site. Name of the site. What's oh, Daisenshi. Yeah, there uh, we go. <laughs>
I've got my manga notes in there for next week, too. This outline is kind of like three episodes in one. Goodness, there's a lot of releases. I guess we're only going over the ones in March. Yeah, we're just going to do March stuff. Okie dokie.